0: is Bloomberg Surveillance. The banks are in much better position now than they were before the crisis. Much more capital. They're much more resilient. One of the more important transmission mechanisms of monetary policy
1: when rates get to very low levels is actually through the exchange rate. Whatever the People's Bank of China, the Central Bank of China, is going to do in terms of its monetary policy will have a big impact on markets.
2: Bloomberg Surveillance. Your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Good morning. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street, 7 a.m. in Washington, D.C., where Tom and I find ourselves on this Super Tuesday. By tonight, we could know who the Republican and Democratic presidential nominees are. At least we could have a pretty good idea, and we're going to be talking about that today on Surveillance, including, Tom, a fascinating interview with former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan. Yeah, getting a rave review.
3: As you said correctly, he was remarkably cautious on where this nation's going as we have this important electoral day.
1: Well, we will talk about that in just a moment. Uh, if there's concern among investors about who may represent the major parties here. It doesn't show in the markets this morning. U.S. futures significantly higher. S&P futures up by 14 points right now, three-quarters of a percent. Dow futures up seven-tenths. That's 110 points on that index. And NASDAQ E-mini futures up by 31 points right now, also three-quarters of a percent. In Europe stocks are higher. The stock's 600 up by three points, nine-tenths European, uh, at least Eurozone employment, uh, higher than it has been in four years. The unemployment rate lower than it has been in four years. The FTSE up 42.7% tenths of a wiping out all of its losses so far for the year. The DAX 147 points higher, one and a half percent. Bonds have churned. That's the word Tom loves to say. But in the U.S., the curve little changed from where we were at this time yesterday. The 10-year Note yield 1.74 percent, the five year at 1.23 percent, 79 basis points. Your two year yield, Germany though, lower yet again. Right now, the German two year trading at a negative 57 basis points. Oil, and this is important West Texas 34.17 up, prices over over. 1.3 percent, Brent crude 36.74 up, uh, 17 cents a half. Eight percent, yeah. Crisis over. Crisis (laughs) over. We asked Chairman Greenspan about that, and he said, you know, we are going to find a bottom at some point, and that could have a significant impact on He was actually
3: pretty good at not, you know, gaming it like an oil strategist of suggesting uh, we may be near uh, a bottom or finding a bid on oil. From Washington, this Super Tuesday, Bloomberg Surveillance, brought to you by Invesco. Factor-based strategies can help investors focus on a high quality, low volatility, and more. Learn more at Invesco. Dot com slash high conviction. I, I did a Hubert Heaver with our guest this morning. <laughs> I said he was the, the president of the White House, and mm-hmm. I, I got it a little wrong. Call it, well, it was maybe
1: a, someday if it was, his career arc continues. If the career <laughs> arc continues. No so let, let's have you bring in uh, Hubert Heaver. <laughs> <laughs> Hubert Heaver, Furman Jason, who is the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisers. Uh, chairman Greenspan, as we were mentioning, uh, rather downbeat about the economy's prospects with us. Overnight, Bill Dudley, the New York Fed president, told an audience in China, quote, on balance, I am somewhat less confident than I was before. Partly, this reflects my assessment that uncertainty to the outlook has increased and downside risks have crept up. You are the chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors. When the president wants to know if Alan Greenspan and Bill Dudley are right, he
4: asks Jason Furman. So what does Jason Furman tell him in that situation? I think there's certainly... Um, a heightened set of risks in the U.S. economy right now, and that's because the United States isn't an island. We're part of a global economy. You've seen the weakest global growth last year that we'd seen since 2009, China's growth slipping, Brazil, Russia, other emerging markets falling even more, and that creates complications and uncertainty for us. My best guess is that our domestic strengths are going to power us through that uncertainty. The domestic strengths that brought brought us the best two years of job growth since the 1990s, the steepest decline in the unemployment rate since the 1980s, the longest streak of private sector job growth ever. We have optimistic consumers. They're getting raises. We have a lot of potential in terms of residential investment. But, you know, the rest of the world is certainly going to be subtracting.
3: I want to know about the prism you use every day as you advise a president and put together the various documents that, that is your responsibility. Is it one America? Is it, to use the math, a Gaussian distribution of one America? Or we could become where Alan Kruger would suggest almost two Americas, one gaining all the benefits of the system and another America that's just not participating.
4: Look, Tom, you make a good point that for what m- most families care about, it's not GDP growth or the size of the economy as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's how they're doing. Now, how they're doing is getting paid 2.5% more than they were getting paid 12 months ago. That's the fastest growth we've seen in nominal wages since the financial crisis, but it's not you know, fast enough. That has macroeconomic ramifications at times it well. You know, one of the reasons that our strategy for the recovery focused on cutting taxes for the middle class, putting money into things like food stamps and unemployment insurance was we wanted money in the hands of the households who were most likely to spend it. So I think you certainly um, need to think about distribution both to understand what the economy is doing for people mm. but how it affects the economy Where as Where well. is our
3: distribution now versus 10 or 20 years ago? The anger of so many saying the government has too much. The government is controlling our lives with redistribution. Where do we fit in now versus previous Super Tuesdays?
4: If you look at statistics on you know, the share of income going to the top 1%, the ratio of people at the 90th percentile to 10th percentile, any of the standard metrics, mm-hmm. Gini coefficient, any standard metrics of inequality, they've risen pretty steadily since um, the late 1970s. The government has been a counterweight on that, something like the Affordable Care Act. You know, we cut taxes in this administration for low-income working families. If you have... Two children, for every dollar you make, you get $0.40 back from the government in the earned income tax credit. You get as much as another $0.15 back in the child tax credit. That's a real motivation to work. It helps reward work, and that's the type of pro-work, pro-growth strategy that also Mm -hmm. reduces inequality.
1: It, It wasn't your intention but the administration and the Republicans backed into austerity the last couple of years with the sequester program. Is austerity
4: done, and did it accomplish anything for the country and the economy? I think we took some major fiscal steps to expand the economy in 2009. We followed up with several more, but those ended prematurely when the economy still needed help. Um, We let the payroll tax cut go away. Instead, we put in place a sequester. One of the things that I think has set the stage for stronger growth is we reached a deal at the end of last year that is going to accomplish 90% of undoing this, of the President's proposal to undo the sequester. And when we did that deal, you saw investment banks, other forecasters raise their forecast for 2016 growth. Fiscal policy is going to be a mild positive instead of subtracting from our growth this year.
1: Did those years of austerity, though, accomplish anything?
4: No, our deficit is in a better position. It's gone from nearly 10% of GDP down to 2.5% of GDP. You look forward, our debt is in a more sustainable place. It's not all the way there. There's more we need to do on both the spending side and on the entitlement side. But um, we're in a more sustainable fiscal situation. I think we've could have done it in a more gradual way, though.
1: Let me ask you to, to, to talk about this more for our listeners, the idea of the deficit to GDP ratio. We are still spending more than we take in, but it's generally accepted among economists that that's okay if you're a country as opposed to a person.
4: That's right. Countries are different. Countries live forever. Countries also use some of that money to make investments in our future economic growth. And so as an economist, what I like to look at is, is our debt declining as a share of the economy? Is it on a path to do that? And we're close to that. We need to do more to get over that. So the ECB has a
1: 3%
4: limit. How much could we spend? We, from the transition Talking to Tim Geithner, Larry Summers, Peter Orszag, we all set the goal that we should try to be below 3% of GDP. If you look at the president's latest budget, like most of the budgets he's submitted to Congress, it would accomplish that goal.
3: We're going to come back. Jason Furman with us, uh, with the White House. And, of course, he's traipsing quietly around the political debate of the moment. We're going to come back with Dr. Furman and uh, touch a little bit on some of the political themes that we've seen on the Super Tuesday. We'll do that
1: uh, delicate. We will do that delicately and with respect. The president to has asked him to stay Hubbit. up and personally report the American Samoa results. Very <laughs> Jason Furman will be up um, All
3: day to, long. Uh, to do that. Uh, coming up also, our important conversation with Alan Greenspan. It was absolutely fascinating, uh, the challenges uh, that Chairman Greenspan sees forward. Obviously, on Dodd-Frank, he was not constructive, and on entitlements, that's no surprise. But it was an Alan Greenspan Greatly concerned about productivity as well. Let me do a data check. We can even do those in the nation's capital. Hard to believe as that is. Futures up 15. Dow futures up 116. Oil with a three-day nice rally. West Texas 34.16 up 40 cents. Brent crude 36.71. Michael McKeon, Tom Keene, this Super Tuesday from the nation's capital in Washington, 99.1 FM.
5: All right, let's check in with Michael Barr now and get the latest world and national headlines. Michael? Mike, Tom, thank you very much. This could be a make or break day for the remaining presidential candidates. Today is the Super Tuesday primaries. Bloomberg will have nonstop Super Tuesday coverage throughout the night starting with a special edition of With All Due Respect, starting at 5 p.m. Wall Street time. President Obama will meet today with Senate Republicans who have vowed to block his Supreme Court nominee. A federal judge has ruled that the Justice Department cannot force Apple to give the FBI access to locked iPhone data in a New York drug case. The Brooklyn ruling could affect a larger debate about privacy rights versus national security. The ruling could pave the way in Apple's fight against the California judge's order that it create specialized software to help the FBI hack into an iPhone linked to the San Bernardino terrorism investigation. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom?
3: Uh, Michael Barr, thanks so much. Again, futures up 15, Dow futures up 114. On this Super Tuesday from Washington, this is Bloomberg Surveillance.
1: Bloomberg surveillance brought to you by Sector Spider ETFs. Why buy a single stock when you can invest in the entire sector? Visit sectorspdrs.com or call 1 866 Sector ETF.
2: Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
6: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update is brought to you by American Arbitration Association. International trade or business dispute. Resolve faster with the International Center for Dispute Resolution. The leader in alternative dispute resolution around the world, ICDR.org. Global stocks are rallying. Emerging market currencies rising and crude oil climbing after investors across Asia responded favorably to stimulus in China. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 16 16- points Dow E Mini Futures up 127. NASDAQ E Mini Futures up 36. The DAX in Germany's up one point seven percent. Tenure Treasury down four thirty seconds. The yield one point seven five percent. NYMEX Crude Oil up one point six percent or fifty three cents to thirty four twenty eight a barrel. Comex Gold up one percent or twelve dollars to twelve forty six fifty an ounce. The Euro a dollar oh eight seven three the yen one thirteen point one one. That's a Bloomberg business flash Tom and Mike.
3: Karen, thank you so much. Super Tuesday. We are at our news bureau in Washington, uh, getting uh, ready for all of Bloomberg Media's coverage uh, through the evening. Uh, Many people, a Bloomberg politics article, Mike talking about uh, landslides on both sides uh, of the um, aisle. Jason Furman with us, the chairman of the uh, President's Council of Economic Advisors. Uh, Jason, within the great divide that we see in America uh, the, the terrific success you've had in lowering the deficit, lowering the unemployment rate, the level of miserable out there, I've never seen. The the number of people, they flat out feel they're not participating. Why aren't they?
4: First of all, I'm not sure I agree with that. You look at measures of consumer sentiment. They reached the highest levels in 2015 that they had you know, since 2004. Fair. I'll go with that. You know, they've fallen down a little bit with the market. You know, one thing is gas prices being so low always show up in sentiment. Consumer spending has been one of the strengths in the U.S. economy But we're not the spending a
1: gas dividend, it doesn't seem
4: like. I think we're spending a lot of it. Um, it started out slowly. The first quarter we didn't. The second and third we did. The fourth, some strange things happened. Warm weather meant utility bills went down. But I, I look at a range of research, and I think we are spending it. You know, but, but in terms of what's frustrating people, you know, after a couple decades of income growing more slowly than it should, layer on top of that a huge recession, you know, that we're not all the way dug out of. You know, I'd be frustrated too. So I I understand the frustration that people have, but that doesn't mean that people don't recognize progress and don't get more optimistic as a result of that progress.
1: Well, do you think... Give me your forecast for the economy as of the first Tuesday in November.
4: You know, I think our unemployment rate is going to continue to trend down slightly. I think we're going to have growth above 2% this year. And the most important thing to look at... Is wages, and I'd like to see continued real wage growth, some strengthening, you know, of our real wage growth, and that's going to be the most important test for the economy.
1: I mean, do we see something that people will feel happy about? If you accept the truism that it's always the economy stupid in the elections,
4: you know, I think, um, I think there's you know, when you see the fastest job growth you have since the 1990s, you know, there's a lot to feel good about in our economy right now. You saw Warren Buffett out there you know, the other day talking about how America is a great country and not to believe the naysayers. That's a message the president had in his State of the Union address. He's trying to depict an optimistic, positive future for America while also talking about the things we need to do to make it even better. You know, Expanding trade, continuing to lower our deficit, reforming our business tax system, investing in infrastructure, all of those are things we need to do to raise our growth. We also need to make sure more people share in that growth with steps like a higher minimum wage. There's a lot we need to do as a country, and you know that's the debate I'd love our country to have over the next year.
3: Tori Stilwell and Sarah McGregor have a spectacular article out today for Bloomberg summarizing the angst and sort of how we got here on this Super Tuesday. The basic theme is a lot of Americans agreeing with everything you're saying except they're not part of Jason Furman's America are they removed because of technological skills are they removed because of
4: technological aptitude no that's one of the, the biggest questions we're facing in economics I'm not right even now. I'm for an answer yeah. but it is a study that needs to be done yeah. yeah absolutely and and you know I'll tell you one thing that concerns me is you look at the labor force participation rate in the United States And for men, it's been falling for 60 years now. For women, it's been falling for 15 years now. We are lower than most of the other advanced economies in both of those dimensions. And, you know, we need to figure out a better way to get people into work. I think, you know, more flexible workplaces, child care, investments in infrastructure. There's a set of things that I think we we need to do as a country.
3: Larry Summers and I are in Dubai. He brought it up twice. He brought up JFK's terminals terminal 1 at JFK worst place in the world why you're in the white house you're in those meetings
4: what is stopping us from fixing the potholes on 59th street well the president's had you know ambitious proposals since his first day in office on infrastructure we saw last year at the end of the year congress took a step they did a 5 year reauthorization of our surface transportation programs covering highways and transit. They increased the amount of spending by about 5% in real terms. So that's a good thing, more stable funding, more funding, but it's not enough. It's just a first step. We need to be doing a lot more. Alan Greenspan told us yesterday
1: that uh, his biggest problem he he faces right now is uncertainty. You don't know what's going to happen with China. don't know what's going to happen with oil prices. don't know what's going to happen in the political process. Uh, as a fellow economist, uh, are you as uncertain as he is? And is it as hard as he suggests to understand what's going to happen going forward?
4: I think there's a lot of puzzles in the economy right now. The jobs data and the GDP data are telling you two different stories. Services and manufacturing are telling you two different stories. The U.S. economy versus the global economy are telling you two different stories. The real economy versus financial markets are telling two different Mm -hmm. stories. You see, You know, a lot of different stories depending on what you're looking at. I tend to focus, you know, mostly on the United States, mostly on the real economy, mostly on the job market. And if that's what you do, um, you do see something positive right now.
3: Jason, thank you so much. Jason Furman is the chairman of the President's Council on Economic Advisors. When's your next budget due? You have to (laughs) write 500 pages this week.
4: Uh, We are, uh, the president submitted his last budget to Congress uh, Mm -hmm. last month.
3: Last month. so nope. what, that's, what, that's it. No so lucky like coast for 13 weeks, right? <laughs> short, yeah, timing, short timing, short timing. Thank <laughs> you uh, so much. Michael McKee and Tom Keene this Super Tuesday from Washington. Stay with us.
1: Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Flushing Bank. Open a complete business checking account with $15,000 or more and get a free 16-gig Wi-Fi tablet. Visit FlushingBank.com for details. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. Welcome back to Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keen in Washington, D.C. for this Super Tuesday, Bloomberg 99.1 in Washington. Uh, here's what we're watching in terms of corporate news today. Barclays shares plunging this morning. They are down 9 percent. New CEO Jess Staley selling down its stake in its Africa business, cutting the company's dividend moving more assets into its non-core unit. On the other side, Intercontinental Exchange says it's considering making an offer for the London Stock Exchange a week after Deutsche Börse did. The announcement propelling LSE's shares to a record high. They're up 8% this morning. And Chevron, considering a sale of its geothermal assets in Asia, seeking to counter a slump in energy markets. One person familiar with the talk says operations could fetch as much as $3 billion. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national
5: headlines. Michael, Mike, thank you very much. Voters were ahead to the polls today for Super Tuesday primaries. Democrats will vote in 11 states and American Samoa. Republicans will vote in 11 states. Megan Murphy, bureau chief for Bloomberg News in Washington D.C., was asked about the impact of Republican frontrunner Donald Trump.
6: That at the end of today we may see Donald Trump with just such a huge lead, not only in terms of the vote and sort of popular momentum behind him, but in terms of the delegate count. And I think the Republican Party has only seen this, the establishment wing of that party, quite late and has moved to mobilize and sort of you know, put their forces behind who they would prefer. Um, This is going to be too little too late, I think many people think.
5: Bloomberg will have nonstop Super Tuesday coverage throughout the night. Starting with a special edition of, with all due respect, starting at 5 p.m. Wall Street time, we will also have analysis on how the results will impact the markets. Later today, President Obama will sit down with Senate Republicans, who have vowed to block his nomination to the Supreme Court, a Virginia police officer who was shot and killed on her first day on the job, is being laid to rest today, General services for Prince William County Officer Ashley Gwenden will be held in Woodbridge. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike?
1: Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. Here's John Stashower, John?
2: All right, Mike, Rangers continue to play well. Three straight wins. They finished February 10-3-1. They haven't had a two-game losing streak in 2016 at the Garden. Rangers gave Henrik Lundqvist the night off, still top Columbus 2-1. And now the second most points in the Eastern Conference. Matt Zuccarello scored first period. Derek Stepan, the game winner, shorthanded with less than three minutes to go in the third. The Nets with the first back-to-back games at the Staples Center. They'll face the lowly Lakers tonight, but against the Clippers they fell 105-95, so unable to get a season-high third straight win. Jamal Crawford scored 26 points for L.A. Brooke Lopez led Brooklyn. With 25, is Kansas emerging as the team to beat in the upcoming NCAA tournament? Now ranked number one, the Jayhawks pounded Texas on the road, 86-56. North Carolina got by Syracuse, 75-70. As expected, Jets use the franchise tag on defensive lineman Mo Wilkerson. If he doesn't sign a long-term deal, he'll make 15.7 million next season. As for the team, the Jets are forever chasing. New England signed Tom Brady to a two-year extension through 2019 when Brady will be 42 years old. With Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stachlan.
1: Thank you, John. We are watching markets uh, in generally a good mood this morning. S&P futures up 17 points, nine-tenths of a percent. Stock 600 up by four points in Europe, 1.1%. So there's concern about what might happen on Super Tuesday. It's not being reflected in equity markets at the moment. This is Bloomberg Surveillance on Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. Welcome back to Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. We are in Washington, D.C. for coverage of Super Tuesday. Bloomberg 99.1 in Washington, our host this morning We are fortunate this morning to be able to speak with the former chairman of the Federal Reserve, Alan Greenspan. I've been covering him for 20 years, and I've never seen him quite this pessimistic about the economy. We began by asking him what he sees in the realm of monetary policy. What are the
3: ramifications to the overall financial system from negative rates?
7: Up to a point, negative interest rates have no effect. Why? because people are willing to accept, essentially, a negative interest rate to hold the claims of these particular countries. That's going to change if this goes on indefinitely, because somebody's going to start to move. We don't know what happens when that happens.
1: Is it dangerous, do you think, a dangerous experiment? for so many central banks to be doing this? Does it call to mind the beggar-thy-neighbor currency policies of the 1930s?
7: Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I don't know the word dangerous, but it is clearly non-productive. Uh, that is, to have this type of situation is a distortion, and remember, the big big argument about excessive low interest rates for a very long period of time is it warps the investment pattern right. on real investment. And clearly, if you have negative interest rates, that is going. people who can raise funds with negative interest rates, their capital investment projects are going to be warped.
3: The corporations that you followed for a year with your data analysis, are they acting in an unhealthy or improper manner because they have a free lunch from low interest rates?
7: Well, the problem basically is, and I'm sure they are doing it because you can tell would happen as the QE's opened up where the price earnings ratios rose. Uh, We're getting signals which are distorted because interest rates are too low. People are investing in long-term assets when they do invest in long-term assets uh, under the mistaken view as to what the rates of return have to be. And that means you're going to get misuse of capital.
1: The markets these days seem to be telling us that we are in trouble. Are we?
7: Yep. We're in trouble basically because productivity is dead in the water. Do you agree
3: with Robert Gordon of Northwestern University that our productivity is low because we don't have the technological progress in the moment that we had in the middle of the last century?
7: Bob Gordon's book is excellent, right? but he has a position which... I don't think holds very far into the future for one important reason, which he agrees with actually, namely that innovation is something which by its nature cannot be forecast. If you could forecast it, it wouldn't be innovation. So that saying what the technological capability is going to be out in the future is uh, questionable.
1: He doesn't say that we will have no productivity. He just feels it will be lower than it was when you were having these major leaps forward. But we're not even getting low productivity right now. Why is that? Where has it gone?
7: Well, if you look, productivity, or let's put it this way, output per hour is driven essentially by real capital investment. Uh, The data are clear on that. Real capital investment is... Uh, way below average. Why? Because business people are very uncertain about the future.
1: Are you optimistic going forward here?
7: No. I haven't been for quite a while. And I won't be until uh, we can resolve the entitlement programs. Nobody wants to touch it. But it's gradually crowding out capital investment. And that's crowding out productivity. And that's crowding out the standards of living. Where do you want me to go from there? Put China in the context of where we need
3: to be with China in five and in ten years.
7: Well, the big problem is basically China itself. That is, it is slowing down its rate of growth quite dramatically. And everyone who looks at the data will tell you we're not quite sure which data are real and which are not. I do think that the seven to seven and a half percent annual rate of growth is unachievable. I think that what is happening is as China's productivity edges ever closer to the level that that exists in the United States, the gap closes and the ability to, to, to close the gap is more and more difficult, which means that you're going to get a convergence between productivity in the United States and productivity in China much more closely. And that means it's going to be a big slowdown in China.
3: The former chairman of the Federal Reserve System, Alan Greenspan. Mike, I thought a spirited conversation. He had a real sense of humor, uh, within his very dour outlook.
1: Yeah, he is unfortunately uh, more gloomy about the prospects for the economy than I have seen him in a very long time. And he yeah. says it's because of uncertainty. So much. He, he's never seen as no. many, as much uncertainty given. Uh, what's going on in the world today.
3: Yeah, we'll we'll have more of this. Alan Greenspan, look for that, of course, on digital media. We hope to get it out to you on podcast as well. That's a nice announcement. We're really making an effort to uh, get out all of our interviews that Michael McKee and I do. You'll see those through iTunes. Not only the complete Bloomberg surveillance files, but also the individual interviews as well. We'll have much more on that uh, coming up. Uh, It is Super Tuesday. We are in Washington uh, for two days. looking for coverage and reaction tomorrow to what appears to be uh, good days for Secretary Clinton and for Mr. Trump. Stay with us from Washington, Bloomberg Surveillance.
1: Coming up, we will talk with Senator Angus King. He is an independent from Maine. What does he look for in the economy, in the political world, in the campaign this year?
6: And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Eisner Amper. When entrepreneurs face challenges like choosing a business structure or access to capital, they call the accountants and advisors at Eisner Amper. Connect with them, EisnerAmper.com slash tech. Global stocks are rallying, emerging market currencies rising, and crude oil climbing after investors across Asia responded favorably to stimulus in China. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P e-mini futures up 15 points, Dow e-mini futures up 109. Nasdaq E-mini futures up 32. The DAX in Germany is up one and a half percent. 10-year Treasury down 432 seconds. The yield 1.75%. NYMEX crude oil up 1.7 percent or 57 cents to 34.32 a barrel. GOMEX gold up nine tenths percent or $11 to 12.4540 an ounce. The euro at $1.0875. The yen 113.06. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike.
1: Karen, thank you very much. Time now for the Bloomberg NJIT STEM Report, brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at NJIT edu here's Bob Moon. Michael thank you and good morning here's what's making news in science technology engineering and math Attorney General Loretta Lynch is holding out an olive branch to technology companies calling for a fruitful partnership to resolve the dispute over smartphone encryption that's driven a wedge between. US security agencies and company executives Lynch makes the call in prepared remarks for the RSA cybersecurity conference in San Francisco today it's one of the biggest business events for the security industry Lynch urges an open dialogue. It allows both sides to hear each other's concerns and learn from each other's perspectives. She's likely to get an earful from the technology companies. The president of RSA, the computer and network security company that puts on the conference, says government officials are looking through a very narrow and myopic lens with demands to compromise encryption. That's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Michael. Thank you, Bob. Uh, coming up this afternoon on Bloomberg Television at 4 o'clock, Attorney General Loretta Lynch. You'll want to watch that. And also here on Bloomberg Surveillance, we'll be talking with a member of the Judiciary Committee who will be hearing from both sides in the Apple dispute today, Congressman Tom Marino. 8.30, Wall Street Time.
3: Michael McKee and Tom Keene in support of uh, Bloomberg 99. one FM, Washington. Super Tuesday, we are at our wonderful news bureau in Washington. He won an election on November 8th of 1994 with 35% of the vote. No, it's not continental Europe. It's Maine. His name is Angus King. He's a senator uh, from Maine, and he is decidedly an independent. I I, I think, Senator King, there's no one I'd rather talk to today than you. Is our two-party system at risk? That's the money question I just want to know how our two-party system moves forward after what we've
0: seen. Well, I think it is. I mean, I think, I think what we're seeing today is a, uh, a disaffection from uh, government itself and certainly from the parties. Uh, there's a growing number of people that just aren't affiliated, and I think particularly young people. It's, it, you know, it's interesting, both Donald Trump, Trump and Bernie Sanders are bringing new people into these, uh, into these primaries, but whether they have any allegiance or connection long term to one of the parties, I think is a very open question
1: want to get to uh, some of the issues facing the Senate in just a second, but as long as Tom brought up this idea, can I ask this? We have seen talk of wealthy Republican donors, if they don't like the nominee, trying to finance an independent campaign, and obviously there have been talk of uh, other people uh, self-funding their own independent campaigns. As somebody who ran as an independent and got elected, can that work at a national level?
0: Well, there's, there are tremendous, uh, sort of logistical challenges. The first is getting on the ballot in all 50 states. Uh, that's a very, very expensive proposition and the time is running short to, to do that just as a, as a legal and practical matter. But, uh you know I, I i wouldn't rule it out i mean when i ran for governor of maine in 1994 by the way i did win my later elections by a little bit more than that 1% that you mentioned yeah 37 that. or 38% <laughs> yeah, yeah thank you that. right yes. yeah, give me a give me a break but uh uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's very tough because you have to go state by state. You've got the electoral college, uh, and you've mm-hmm. got con, all the states essentially except for one or two, Maine being one of them, are winner take all. So if you get one third plus one in Ohio, for example, you get all of Ohio's electoral votes. So it's really not impossible, uh, but it is a tall order. But, you know, uh, this may be a year when, uh, when people are looking for, a, for a third option.
3: I think of your courage to run or, you know, years ago, Lowell Weicker of Connecticut and others that have taken a, a singular road. And one of the great assumptions, particularly from elites, is the reason independents do well is the voters are uninformed about civics, uninformed about politics. I've heard that this time around. Is this an America dumber about politics and civics or do we underestimate america 's sophistication to make a political decision
0: well i I think you know I could argue it 's the opposite that that people are fed up and they have every right to be <laughs> that uh, that a uh, a vote uh, uh... outside of what the the conventional political parties and and program is giving them is not an irrational choice now they may not be particularly well informed on any given issue but uh... the instinct is that the system isn't working and uh... there needs to be a change uh... and and in fact that's how i won in nineteen ninety four we had a strong democrat a republican republican candidate and i ran as a business guy an outsider and uh, one, it was a very close election, but uh, I think that I, I think you can argue it both ways. But I think part of it is whether they are sophisticated on the particular issues uh, may or may not be true, but they know something's wrong and they want to try to change it. They may have, they may be, they may not have the right solution. Uh, but anybody that argues that our political system is uh, is hunky-dory these days uh, isn't living on the same planet.
1: <laughs> All you have to do to uh, ratify that is look at the fight over the Supreme Court. How it, How is this going to leave the Senate when uh, we are finished with this debate? If the president nominates somebody and the Republicans just ignore him, is it going to become even more polarized? Sure, and, and
0: you use the key word, which is debate. Uh, the, right now, the, the Republican position is there will be no debate. And uh, I I just... I, I can't really figure out that from either a policy or a political point of view. Uh, there are lots of terms and phrases in the Constitution we can argue about. People can write law review articles about what this or that uh, uh, sentence means. But the the word for, the number for, and the word shall are not among those, uh, those unclear provisions. The president's term is four years, not three years and one month. And the Constitution in Article 2, Section 2, says the president shall nominate with advice and consent of the senate uh... uh, members of the supreme court he has to do this it's a constitutional duty some of the same people who are saying he shouldn't do it are the same people that saying this guy doesn't follow the constitution i think he has a constitutional duty now the senate doesn't have a constitutional duty to approve but i think it does have a constitutional duty to at least go through the process hold a hearing meet the nominee look at their views and take a vote uh... to to just stonewall the whole process i I just find uh, it was uh, you know just doesn't make any sense
1: well, from the cynical Americans' point of view. Would Democrats be doing the same thing if there were a Republican in the White House?
0: Well, there, you know, there, everybody's got quotes. You can find quotes on both sides. Joe Biden in 1992 and Chuck Schumer in 2007. There are all kinds of quotes from Chuck Grassley and Mitch McConnell on the other side saying we've got to do this. Yeah, sure, there's some of that. But I don't think, I, I don't think there's historical precedent for not even taking up a nomination, uh, which would essentially leave the court without a a ninth judge for two terms, the remainder of this term and realistically into the late Mm -hmm. spring of next year. So I don't think there's much uh, precedent for that. And like I say, uh, I'm not arguing that anybody should vote for or against. We don't even know who the nominee is, which layers another level of of, uh, ridiculousness to this to say I'm opposed to the nominee when we don't know who it is. It might be a combination of Aristotle. Thomas Jefferson and St. Thomas Aquinas.
3: Senator King and your family survived as we know it. You took a road trip across America, (laughs) 15,000 miles, 33 states. If Secretary Clinton or Mr. Trump were to leave scenic Brunswick, Maine or wherever and start driving across this country, what would be your counsel for them to look for? What would they need to observe on a 33-state road trip like you took?
0: Well I think the, the the council the first piece of advice would be don't have an itinerary and keep your eyes and ears open. In other words, uh you can miss you can miss a trip by focusing too much on the trip. Uh we went we had no plan, no itinerary except a vague one that we were gonna circumnavigate the country. Uh, but we went according to what the weather was. And what we found was a couple of things. There's interesting and important things going on everywhere. You could throw a dart at the map and find cool stuff. And secondly, the problems that I thought is I, I, this trip that you allude to was the day after I left office as eight years of governor of Maine. I thought that our problems were unique in Maine and, you know, nobody else was really dealing. And I found out that they're virtually the same everywhere. There are variations of of course. But uh, the same kinds of issues are going around around the country. So if uh, if one of those folks decided to take a road trip, I would say uh, uh, don't have too much of a plan. Don't over schedule and keep your eyes and ears open.
3: Senator, well, thank you so much. Generous of you to be with us today. Angus King is the independent senator from the state of Maine. Future's up 16. Dow Future's up 122. Michael McKee and Tom Keene in support of 991 FM Washington. Stay with us.